Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. He's covered the big events and talked to the biggest names in sports for more than three decades. Breeze end zone. He hit it. 500 career touchdown passes. From Super Bowls to the World Series, he's been there, he'll be there, and he's here now for CMI, the Chris Myers interview. It's good to have on a former Dodger and Yankee. You hear him on Sirius Radio talking about baseball, and he played a long time and was uh, an outstanding uh, player. Steve Sachs is with us on CMI, the Chris Myers interview. A couple of World Series titles, and anybody who gets to play for the Dodgers and Yankees in their career always has an interesting view of things. So, Steve, it's good to catch up with you. You doing okay? Yeah, Chris, good to be with you. Um, Yeah, it's it's been a different kind of year. There's no question (laughs) about it, but... uh, we're getting some exciting things happen now in postseason, which is, you know, what we all want. And, you know, Dodgers and Yankees are still there. So that's a good thing. At the beginning, yeah, before all of this, COVID and then the, what we went through, the Dodgers and Yankees, people were like penciling them in. They're going to meet in the World Series. It's automatic. We're a little bit closer. Obviously, mm-hmm. Yanks battling the Rays. Uh, Dodgers have San Diego. And, and there's also Marlins, Braves, and Astros A's. We'll get to that. But right now, the way you see things, is that still, if you had to line up the World Series matchup, would it be Dodgers-Yankees or you have you have a different thought? Well, I yeah, it would be great. I mean, it would be pretty epic if we could have that throughout the. I think the country needs that uh, that that kind of knit the two uh, coasts together right now, right? With L.A. and and uh, New York, that would be a great thing. I you know, look, I think both teams right now are going to have their biggest tests, if you will. I think that the Dodgers are really going to have their hands full with San Diego, and I think uh, the Yankees are going to have you know their hands full um, with with uh, with Tampa. I mean. This is just the way it's going to go. Both teams are stacked with talent, uh, and so is their adversaries that they're that they're you know with now. So um, I, I don't know. There's a lot of talent in baseball right now, but I think for the Dodgers and Yankees, looking at these two uh, opponents they have right now, it's going to be it's going to be a big test. The Yankees are off to a good start. Yeah, already. Most of your career with Dodgers, 82 Rookie of the Year and, and the World Series, uh, two World Series titles. But what, what's the, we hear about organization putting on pinstripes, you know, about Dodger Blue. Well, I mean, describe the differences between these two classic organizations since you, you were in uniform for both. Well, it, it, it's it's a good question because, you know, you uh, it, there it, it just seems that when I left the Dodgers and went to the Yankees, uh what I heard was, oh boy, you're going into the fire pit there, and it's going to be so much more, you know, uh, you know, pressure on you as opposed to what happened in LA it was more laid back and whatever. I actually, Chris, I found it to be the opposite. I felt I felt going to New York was a much easier place to play um, as far as the pressure goes. And, and the only reason I would say that it's it's is because there were so many stars when I went to New York. You know, there Ricky Henderson was on the team, Jack Clark was there, Don Mattingly. Nobody cared about me. I mean, I was I was a small change when you consider all the stars that had already been entrenched in that area with, with you know, playing with the Yankees. And I was just, uh, you know, I wasn't – I didn't think I was a big deal going to New York. And, and so I could just kind of quietly go in there and do my job and let the other guys garner all the headlines. Uh, where in L.A., you know, I was more known there and I grew up in the organization. Uh, you know, I went through that throwing issue for two months in, in 1983. That um, And so – you know, I, I, I got to kind of shed that that kind of that moniker uh, when I went to New York because I was starting to get some acclaim for my glove. I led the league in fielding when I was with the Yankees, um, and a lot of it had to do with the guy I had at first base, Don Mattingly, absolutely caught everything. 
And it, it really changed my whole career around from a guy that was, you know, suspect because of the, the issue I had in 83 for fielding, but could hit and run and do all that stuff to more of a complete player when I went to the Yankees. I, I really, my career really shot forward when I went there. Yeah, I want to, let's address, we'll get back to the current teams because I got to ask you about the Astros, their image of where they are. I want to talk about Fernando Tatis, who we're seeing in the, in the postseason. Is he now the new face of baseball? Why Mike Trout, right, as great as he is, again, in October, and we're not seeing him. But let's continue with, with Steve Sachs because uh, for those that, that didn't remember, obviously, uh, they call it the yips. If you're a golfer, you have it, right, where and people can't understand. It's so easy. You're at second base, just throw it over to first. First, explain what, what that throwing process problem was because I remember watching it as a youngster. <laughs> we were yeah. both youngsters. And I was like, how is how is this how is this happening? Is it a mental block? It was yeah. a it was a number, uh, I think it was 26 errors right before the all-star break. Wow. And then afterwards you, you obviously cleared it up. But what was what was going on at that time for you? Was it was it physical? Was it mental? Um well it, it had nothing to do with the mental block. Uh, I can tell you that right okay. up. Okay. That's what people think. Oh you got a mental yes. block. You know, right. You you got the yips, you got a mental block and whatever. And, you know, it had never been, I felt like the most lonely person in the world when I was out there, you know, throwing the ball that wasn't close to first base. And everybody knew that it was something where, you know, it was in my head or whatever. But I, I can tell you that my dad really put this very succinctly. And it was really the day that my, my dad died that I kind of figured out what was going on here. Um, and I got a call from my dad and um, he told me, uh, he says, you know, Look, you're going through this issue. He says, "May everybody thinks you have a mental block." He says, "You can you can read pretty well, right?" I said, "Of course." He says, "You can drive a car, so you can judge a distance when you're driving a car." So I said, "Yes." He says, "You can speak clearly, yeah." He says, "Well, you don't have a mental issue. This isn't a, a, a block and something wrong with your with your head or your brain." He says, "What you have is you have a temporary loss of confidence, and once you get the confidence back, this thing's going to go away." And the way you do that is in practice, but you don't eat an elephant one bite. You kind of go and you chop it down and, and you do that in practice and you gain it one brick at a time in practice. That practice will then carry over to the game and this thing will be gone. And that's the last thing I, he ever said to me. Uh, that night he passed away um, and I took that advice he, he had lent to me and I started putting it into practice and he was absolutely right because I started gaining confidence in practice. I started working on it in practice, knowing that it was going to be, um, it was going to be, uh, it was going to, it wasn't going to be just an event was going to be a, you know, it was going to be a work in progress. And so after going through that, I started gaining confidence back. And then, you know, the numbers, I mean, the second half of the season, I think I made four errors the whole second half of the year. And I don't think any of them were throwing. So um, that it turned around. And then, like I said, when I went to the, when I went to the American League, I led the league in fielding at my position. And uh, it was all because of that conversation um, that I had with my father. And the interesting, interesting thing about the conversation, Chris, was, you know, two years after uh, I retired, I was having this conversation with, uh, with my mom that I'm having with you now. And I told her about the talk that I had with my dad. And my mom just floored me when she told me this. She says, you know what? Because my dad told me that he went through the same thing when, you know, he was in high school. He had the same issue that I had. Wow. He said, that's why he could tell me. And you didn't know that. And you didn't know this. You I didn't, didn't know, know it. Wow. I didn't know that he had the same issue. Wow. So, so two years after I retired, I was talking to my mom about this. And she said, you know, I have to, I have to tell you something. She goes, your dad never had a throwing problem in his life. Never had a problem. He, he just wanted to tell me that. 
Oh, to, to put me in a position because my dad was 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 the kind of a guy that was just the toughest dude in the world. I mean, nothing could touch him. He was, uh, you know, he what he he didn't apologize to anybody. He he was just a really John Wayne tough dude. <laughs> so he just told me yeah. that to humanize himself. <laughs> fit, yes, and he said that I went through the same thing, and he never went through this. And wow. but at the time, I thought, wow, my dad went through this. Yeah, I mean, Any, anybody can get that. Yeah. Yeah. What? So it's so simple, too, but it registered. Did you know when you were talking with him on the phone, Steve, that he was dying, that he was that no. close? No, you didn't know. No. Well, I knew that he his heart issues were, you know, he had four heart attacks before that open heart surgery and he was only 47 years old. So we knew he probably wasn't going to live a long time, but I certainly didn't know that it was going to be that night. Um, we were on the road uh, and we were leaving from Atlanta to Cincinnati and we got in about 2:45 in the morning and then um i got a call at a quarter to six and it was tommy the sort of saying i come to my room i gotta talk to you i thought i was getting traded and i pushed the elevator button and my brother was on the elevator because my brother was on the team and he had already called my brother so we both went to his room and he and he told us that we lost our dad so uh, i'm sorry well, i'm sorry da- yeah yeah dave Sachs, your brother and then of course you're uh since then that problem cleared up i think we all had our views from the outside and that story had, had come out i like what alfredo griffin who was a teammate of yours of the 88 late 80s dodgers team the one world series uh referring to steve Sachs. he's a machine i don't know where he gets all the energy i'm paraphrasing because he went on and on whether we're up 10 runs or down 10 runs he keeps playing with all this this energy uh what what stands out yet yeah, some interesting people to play with on that and the, the dodgers still and i want to ask you about this year's team because we i think a lot of dodger fans expect the world series but yeah kirk gibson and hersheiser and but what what jumps out just about what made that team work and why they were able to win uh, the world series well chris it's we certainly didn't have the most talent but right. that doesn't win it we had tremendous unity in our team like i've never seen before we had you know kirk gibson who started off this you know uh, started off the uh, his tenure there in spring training with the big hullabaloo about Jesse Roscoe. He wanted to kill Jesse Roscoe for putting the eye black in his hat. So we had a, a really gruff guy over here. Uh, and it was kind of emblematic in the locker room where I was sitting because I had Kirk Gibson on one side and Mickey Hatcher on the other side. Uh, and those two personalities were not even close to one another. You know what I mean? So we had the crazy wanted to kill you guy on one side and the, and the clown on the other. And I don't mean that in any disrespect to Mickey. He was right. great. Uh, <laughs> he was a character, right? He was, he was. So truly a character. But, yeah. but everybody on their team knew what their lane was. Mickey Hatcher invented what we call the stuntmen. Now, the stuntmen were guys that never played every day, were bench and role players, but would come in when needed and, and, do, a, and, and, and you know, do an admirable job for the fill-ins. And without the stuntmen on our team that year, Chris, we probably don't win the World Series because we had many injuries, Bob Costas called us the worst looking World Series team he's ever seen. <laughs> and it was that glue on our team was the stuntmen. And Mickey Hatcher was the leader of the stuntmen. So everybody stayed in their lane. Everybody knew what their jobs were. But the unity on our team from having a very eclectic amount of personalities from Kirk Gibson to Mickey Hatcher to Tommy Lasorda to Errol Oral and just the amazing years that we had. Gibson won the MVP Oral broke uh, Don Drysdale's record of 59 and two-thirds scoreless innings. Um, just too many things happened at once for us not to win it. And, uh, you know, we beat the Mets in the playoffs who, were, who beat us 10 of 11 during the season. We didn't have a chance against the Mets. And then, of course, we beat the Bash brothers, the Oakland A's, in the World Series. And 
It was about that glue and that unity on our team. And of course, tremendous pitching that we got throughout the course of the year that, that won it for us. Yeah, and I think Hershiser had to come in in relief against the Mets, I remember, if I, right, with Mike right. Sosha behind the, behind the plate. And, yeah, that was the Mark McGuire, uh, man, Jose Canseco A's team, LaRusso managing that A's team that people thought were, were a powerhouse, some amazing years. And you were there, even though you were the rookie of the year in 82, of course, a five-time All-Star, uh, but, but 81, you were actually up enough for that Dodger team. Uh, mm-hmm. which was a different Dodger team, right? That was the Garvey, oh. Steve Garvey, Ron Say team. Yeah, completely different. Uh, veteran-based team had been there and done that before. Uh, lots of lots of great veteran leadership. It was a perfect opportunity for me to go up and really see these guys at their best uh, and, and really get a, a, a great example of how this is all done uh, and completely com- uh, different cast of characters than we had in 1988. Not near the talent in 88 that that team was, um, but boy, I'll tell you what, we, we had so many things that, that went right for us that year. And, and mostly because of the fundamentals of the game, great pitching. We had really good defense. I mean, uh, Alfredo Griffin, uh, and John Shelby that we got from Baltimore up the middle, right. solidified our team defensively. Um, and we had Jay Howell coming out of the bullpen. We made a trade with Guerrero and got John Tudor that year. Uh, there were so many, uh, you know, things that, uh, front office and teams and everything together that just made it all work. So is this year's Dodger team the, the, the best we know about their division win streak and appearances in the World Series? Is this the best Dodger team currently that, and you follow the game, your broadcast on the, on the radio, uh, that we've seen in this modern run? I mean, is this the one that should win the World Series? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we've said it before, haven't we, Chris, that, you know, the Dodgers should win. This is the eighth consecutive year that the Dodgers have uh, been in postseason. Um, and, and the team is absolutely stacked with, with talent all the way through. You, you look at the team and you think, where's one part of the team that I could kind of pick apart and say, this is, this is the one area where you can exploit the Dodgers and kind of get them out of there. I can't see anything uh, right now on this team. I mean, they've got defense. They can, they can obviously hit the ball out of the ballpark. They can, they can hit the ball to diff, different parts of the field. Guys get hurt. They've got guys that can come in. Look at the year A.J. Pollock had this year. Nobody talks about him. So, Steve, if the Dodgers don't win this year, what, what changes would you make or what, what do you oh, think would be necessary? That, that's a tough one, Chris. I mean, I guess we'll have to wait to see how the thing unfolds. But I've been asked this question so many times uh, this year already, and my answer, my kind of standard answer is what, what would you say that the reason is? And I would say, well, it's probably conspiracy um, or, <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> I really don't have an answer because the team has got so much talent. I mean, uh, I, I guess you could say you'd always want more starting pitching, but man, they're pitching. They were one of the top teams in the league in, in starting pitching. Their bullpen has been good this year. Uh, people want to talk about uh, Kenley Jensen and his, his, you know, his velo isn't up there to where it should be, but you know, he keeps getting people out and his numbers are really good this year as far as, you know, the overall internal metrics about how he pitched this year. So I don't know. I mean, we'll just have to wait and see how it unfolds. But uh, I, I don't see any spot on the team right now where I could say other than maybe Cody Bellinger has to really step up and be that MVP type again because he didn't have really that that great of a year. Of course, it's only a 60-game season. It's kind of a one-off. I don't know how many people really, the, the, the principals in baseball, take this season all that seriously because it's, it's just so different. Um, you know, from the from the 60 games to the format scheduled uh, for postseason and whatnot, no all star game. It's just it's just, you know, start and stops in spring training. It's, it's just a crazy, crazy season. But it is what it is. And, you know, right. Bellinger kind of took a step back. 
So we want to see him, what he does in postseason for him to come forward and, and be that, you know, that, that guy for the team. So him and Mookie together doing that, I mean, those two guys can carry the team easily. Yeah, great point. And, and a healthier uh, Seager. And, and that's true. Yeah. You know, some are going to say, well, this year, I, I know it's a crazy year, 2020 all the way around. Is Should there be an asterisk? And I love the line that, no, there should be an exclamation point because <laughs> whoever gets through and, and is a World Series champ, you're still a champ. I mean, I yeah. mean, take, take it and run. But let's talk about some of the other teams because you were mentioning that, that stunt, you know, the Dodger team that won that collection. In a way, the Marlins could be that team this year, right? Plagued <laughs> by uh, the COVID testing, missing games and having to pull it together and yet they somehow overachieve and are and are in this are, are you shocked that they're where they are well you know what in, in conversations that we've had with with don mattingly this year uh on, on our network on mlb network radio um he told us early on you know he told us early on just watch the great young arms that we have on this team and boy was he right he, i mean you talk about a team that's loaded with with really good you know young pitching uh, and, and guys that have really turned the corner. Uh, I think that this, this team was probably maybe a year and a half, two years ahead of the curve on, on where even the, the people on this team thought that uh, they were going to be this year. But uh, I, I really like the makeup of the team, um, and they can do so many things. I mean, besides the pitching, when you look at guys like Sixto Sanchez and Pe- uh, Pablo Lopez, Sa- Sandy Alcantara, they, 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 they've got the, you know, you know, the real makeup, the nucleus, of some starters on this team that, that can make a difference, uh, you know. And so the everyday players, they got guys that can do different things. This team, to me, Chris, is kind of emblematic of what we saw in Don Mattingly. Yeah. You know, do all things, hit the ball to all fields, good defensive players, good athletes, you know, uh, you, you know hit behind the runner, put guys in motion. You know, he was, he was part of that era that did all that stuff. And and that's kind of what I see this team. You got guys like John Birdie who can play center field. He can play second base. I mean, he's part of that crew now that brings, you know, three or four different gloves to spring training and uh, let her go. And, and that's kind of how I see a, a, a real talented team like this in Miami. I think, I think anybody that, that sells them short is doing themselves a disservice. Now, uh, do I think they're going to win it? No, I, I don't. But they're going to be a pain in the neck, and and you can't let your guard down because they could thump you. You know they, they they've got the ability to do. It. I think they're for real. Now I think some teams have to take inventory um, and and look at this season because there were 16 teams that got into postseason. Now, do they look at themselves and say, "Huh, Miami, are we a really postseason team when we get back to some sense of normalcy?" I I, I think it's kind of a mix. I, I, I think people will say. Maybe maybe not this minute, but boy, are they close. And and uh, I think they're for real. I think the team is for real. I don't think they're just you know a, a product of so everybody gets in. It's the NBA format and postseason now. Uh, shot forward to the National League and baseball. I mean to uh, to baseball. I, I think the team's for real. I, I think that uh, it's going to be a very short time before people expect them to be in postseason. And we're talking to Steve Sachs on CMI here. That, that's a great point because the Cubs, uh, who uh, we thought would be a great threat, the Marlins took them out, and the Cubs are reassessing uh, what they have in terms of are we a playoff team or where do we need, uh, need to make changes? Of course, they have players if they need to, to sign uh, contract-wise. So it is a, a different – it's creating some different challenges for, for teams. I want to talk about the Astros, who already jumped on the A's, uh, Oakland A's early, and the A's have been a good team, uh, and some words have been said about 
hey, people don't want to see us here based on the uh, the, the cheating scandal and the punishment. Uh, where are you? Uh, can players now and fans, I don't know about fans, but you tell me because you're on both sides of it now, can they let that go and just appreciate this Astros team? Well, I, I think, well, ask, ask, you know, the teams that are playing the, the Astros, even though they were sub, uh, you know, sub 500 during the season, they're a dangerous team, even though there's no Garrett Cole because he's pitching in New York. There's no Verlander because he's going under the knife or he's gone under the knife. So now what do you have? You have Zach Greinke and then a question mark. Well, you know what? We're learning that the question mark may be dissipating because you got guys like Framber Valdez and Javier and Urquidy, guys that can really pitch. And this is kind of the young flavor of Houston that's been coming up that they've been talking about. Um, and I forgot who we were talking to the other day. We were talking to one of the beat, uh, beat, beat writers. I think it was – I'm not sure the name. Uh, it escapes me. But we were talking about this very subject, Chris. And I, I asked him, I said, does all of these guys work out? I mean, usually <laughs> it's, you know, one or two guys will make it. And you hope for the next draft, maybe one or two. Do all these guys make it? I mean, that's what <laughs> we're seeing now. I mean – Urquidy and, and Framber Valdez, he, I mean, how about what he did when he came in for Zach Greinke on Zach Greinke's last start? He comes in and pitches five innings of relief of, of shutdown. I mean, that this is a real difference now. Uh, maybe, maybe the names aren't as big as those others that I mentioned, but uh, nonetheless, these guys can pitch. So that issue of being able to cover for some of the guys that left, I think they got enough there in the pitching department. We all know they can hit. I mean, there's no question about it. Jose Altuve is starting to show up now, which wasn't the case during the season. He's starting to hit the ball much better. Uh, and, of course, Correa still continues to be hot. Um, yeah, this team is still very, very talented. And uh, I think people realize that when they go up against them. They're, they're just loaded with talent on this team. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, teams could use, well, nobody expects us to win or they're all against us because, you know, we, they think the sign stealing or what we did detracts from our World Series title. I, I, are you okay with leaving them with that that title the way they, or should some players have maybe been punished to some degree in the yeah, aftermath? I, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a purist at, at heart when it comes to the game. I have zero tolerance for people that knowingly go out and cheat. And that's what they did. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I, I don't have respect for, for guys that knowingly plot out to cheat uh, on their opponents. That's, I mean, it's, it, to me, it's, it's, it's absolutely horrible. But I also don't want to keep beating a dead horse. It's move on. Do, do I think because they did this that they're not talented? Uh, absolutely not. I know they are. Um, I just don't have the same respect for him uh, because they did this. But, you know, I love Dusty Baker. He's the manager. And I think he's the perfect person to kind of get this stuff out of the system, get it out of the system, get it purged, uh, at least in the, in the confines of that locker room, and get it out of the guy's head and move on. I think that's what you have to do as a grown-up. Uh, and um, I, I, Dusty is, I think, the perfect guy for it, and it's paying off. Yep, and I think you you said that about Dusty when when he was first hired coming in after AJ Hinch and and uh, those that were punished front office through the organization let go. Uh, before we move on to some other things, the Fernando Tatis Jr. is he, and we know San Diego, Slam Diego, and they're going to have the Dodgers in this in this great series. Uh, is he the new face? And we're seeing him in the postseason in October. I, is Mike Trout still the best player in baseball? Two part question. Uh, okay, so. Uh, yeah, I, first of all, I think that Tatis is definitely one of the new faces. There's no question about it. 
Um, crazy amount of talent. I don't know how good he's going to be. I still don't think he's Mike Trout. We have too little of a sample size. Um, uh, certainly there's, there's some things that point to that direction where you can put them in the same zone, but I got to see a little bit more uh, from him. And I don't think he's Mike Trout yet, uh, but uh, he's, he's certainly got you know, some signs telling me that he could be there. I just got to see more of it. Uh, but boy, he's a fun player to watch. I see him throwing out people from left field uh, on the other side of second base. And, and I see him just make great defensive plays. We all know what he does offensively. And I like the fact that he can run. He still has some of that old flair of baseball. It's just not going up there and striking out or hitting a home run. I think he can do everything well. He's certainly a five-tool player. Uh, and he's going to be uh, the guy that carries the mantle, uh, not only uh, – especially for San Diego, but all, also for baseball. You know, Machado and Hosmer were brought onto this to kind of anchor on both sides of the field. And uh, I don't know who likes, well, you know, following who around more. Is it Tatis following Machado or Machado following Tatis? I don't know which one it is, but they certainly do mesh well together on the left side of that San Diego team. Yeah, it's uh, made them a lot of fun. All right, give me a, a good, like a one-liner, yes or no, you want to keep it, and then why or why not, if you can, in a sentence or two. Okay. Uh, because of the changes, we've talked about 2020. So going forward, assuming we get back to the game and the times that we all uh, appreciated so much before, the designated hitter universal in both leagues. You want to keep it? Uh, no, and reason. Uh, I don't want it in either league. Uh, <laughs> I'm <laughs> okay. like the only person that says that, Chris. Uh, oh, it's great. There's more jobs and it's more, more home runs. And yeah, but you know, I, okay. So, so thump me because I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. Uh, I, I, I like baseball the way it was originally invented. Um, I know it creates a lot more excitement and all that. I, I think it's here to stay. I think it's here to stay in both leagues. And uh, yeah, I like watching that part of it too, but I'm, I just like the tradition of baseball. All right, so I'm guessing you're against the the extra inning runner at second, which they did it in the minor leagues, and we did it for obvious reasons. Currently. Oh, you oh you mean softball, baseball? Yeah. <laughs> See, softball there you go. <laughs> That's uh, an absolute no. I can tell no. already. <laughs> <a> no. <laughs> How about the ex- the expanded playoffs? You already kind of inferred. Well, it's like too much like the NBA, but as we've grown and it, it has created opportunity, would you like maybe not 16 or eight in each league, but would you like more than? Because I'll tell you, Steve, what I don't like. I don't like that the previous year the the one game playoff with the wild card. I just thought that was not fair in whatever way. So what do you think? think, So uh, I would say in, I would say a a kind of a a mix of the two. I agree with you there. I think that the one game is not, is not real. You got to have at least three. I like that format, maybe somewhere in the world, not maybe not 16, but maybe one, you know, ratchet at one step back. I think that's good. I, I love all the teams involved. It creates more interest for all the cities. Um, so that part of it, I'm, I'm kind of growing. It's growing on me, but 16 is too many, but maybe one step further than it has been. All right, make it well. And then obviously the, the doubleheader seven inning thing again, if you're a purist, you're not, you're having none of that in a normal year. The answer is no, I'm having none of that. <laughs> Listen, I think, I think the war of attrition is part of the whole thing. Uh-huh. You know, the, the, the strongest guys in the jungle are the ones that get to survive. And uh, part of this is, you know, you hear the, the talk about, well, you know, you want to keep these high-paid athletes on the field. That's what people come to see. I understand that. I totally get it. But uh, you know what? I want to see the guys that can make it through uh, all the long games and all the injuries. That's part of it, too. And, you know, we don't see that. We, we want to uh, – you know, we see the wimpification, I call it, with the, wimp- with the wimpification of American sportsmen. 
you see that the quarterback in, in football now, if you, if you tackle him and land on him, they're going to throw the flag because you, quote, landed on him. Oh, my gosh, I landed on the quarterback. <laughs> but the guy's running the ball down the sideline, Chris, and I see you doing games uh, on Sundays. And, you know, I don't know how much it ticks you off, but you can't lower the shoulder on these guys. You have to negotiate him out of bounds, you know. I don't like that stuff. I, I want to see the hard hits. Thank God for boxing and and hockey. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you are old school. Now, is it true you're a black belt? By the way, is that did you earn one of those? Or well, I earned two different ones, but I I, I got them uh, at uh, at Target. I wouldn't. <laughs> <I was there. laughs> okay, because <laughs> I could. I was going to say, what, what are you practicing for? Self defense well, or just for fun? No, I just used it as a way to stay in shape, and and uh, you know, I, I like the the science of. You know, I, I actually like boxing a lot more than martial arts. I got my black belt in kickboxing and and, and uh, also in Shotokan karate, but I like boxing much better. Boxing is one of my favorite sports. I, I just yeah. like the science of it. You know? Yeah, and, and obviously the connection with your dad. And you ran for political office of the state of California back in the in the mid nineties. If if you yeah. were in if you were in charge, well, just real quick. I mean, did you, you seriously wanted to and still have any more interest in politics for yourself uh, beyond just kind of observing it or or voting? Yeah, actually, actually, I hear that a lot. I actually never ran for office. I considered it. I, I formed a, a committee, exploratory committee. But never ran. Um, and uh, but a lot of people ask me about that. What was it like running for office? And I, my answer is but, out of but, I, I did, but if you consider, did you want to run? Would you want to run? I mean, um, now especially given the way uh, the country, the state of the country. Yeah, there's there's so much divide in the country right now, Chris. There's I I, I wouldn't even consider running right now. I, I love my life. I'm a, I'm a pretty private person. I try to be. Um, and going for office now, I wouldn't even consider it. I thought I thought about it when I got out. Of, of baseball. And that's why people still ask me about, you know, running for office. Um, but I, I realized that, you know, growing a family as I was when back then I, I had more interest in doing that than putting myself out there to be a, a political on the political side of it. And then I'd lost interest in it. And so I, I don't think I would today. I never, I never would. That's for sure. <laughs> it's a tough job. Well, I'll yeah. ask you this. If you were, if you were the commissioner of baseball, I, I think we have a good one now. Some are, are critical, yeah. but if, if you were, we went over some of the finer points. What's the, what's the one thing you'd like to change or alter or establish if it, if you were running uh, baseball, today oh that's a, that's a, that's a great question I, I I think I would make sure um, that when expansion happens this is one of the things I would think about because I think it's coming uh, but I would really want to take care of what we have uh, right now first before we expand for instance Oakland and Tampa definitely need new ballparks I mean these are these are teams that deserve it more than anybody they get into postseason on limited resources both of these teams are kind of in that same bucket and doing it that way. Um, I think you could. I, I think you have so many great players uh, as well in baseball that we need to market a little bit better. I mean, you go down in, in the Southern California, Fernando Tatis and, and uh, you know Mike Trout and, and Clayton Kershaw should be on every billboard there is on the 405 freeway when you're driving down there because these are great, great stars, great looking young men. Uh, that can that can just be the most you know the, the biggest thing in the United States. I think baseball needs to market these these great young men a, a little bit more. So taking care of teams right now uh, before we expand and making them better, and then also expanding on making players those individuals bigger stars in America today. 
Yeah, that's well well said. And the NFL ha- has done that successfully with the Raiders and their new stadium. They had to move the yes. Rams. Of course, Absolutely. they took care, right? Even the Chargers having to move to LA to get a new stadium. That's part of the world we we live in. And hopefully baseball will do that. And they do. They have a lot for all the, the, the superstars that have been around. Uh, the, the great wave, we've mentioned some of the young players, uh, really have a lot to look forward to. We'll enjoy the postseason. I always enjoy talking to you, especially hearing you too on the on the radio. Dodger fans are grateful for your contribution over oh, the years. You. and. And they're hoping for uh, for another another World Series title, but that's they've been hoping for a while. So you take care, Steve, and we'll, we'll catch up with you again. All right? Thanks so much, Chris. All right, good always you. good talking to Steve Sachs with us on CMI, the Chris Myers interview. We thank you for listening on uh, Podcast One, and we'll uh, look for you next time. Thanks for listening to CMI, the Chris Myers interview. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word. Get new episodes every Wednesday on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify.